Welcome to the St. James Parish Podcast. Enjoy sermons, lectures, and special presentations from St. James Episcopal Parish in Wilmington, North Carolina. Curious about what else St. James has to offer? Visit our website, linked in the show notes, to learn more. I'm just over a week removed from spending a few days in Colorado. And as one does usually when they go to Colorado, I went into the Rocky Mountains. And with my friend, we went up and up and up and up and up through car and on foot to well over 12,000 feet. It was the highest that I've ever been, although I know some have been higher, but it was so high that I could feel it with every breath I took as I walked up as high as I could on each step to get to the highest point, feeling the thinness of the air. That was quite literally a mountaintop experience. And regardless of how high you've ever climbed yourself, I'm guessing that the notion of a mountaintop experience resonates with many of you here. Not just those literal mountaintop experiences, but those high, lofty, memorable life experiences wherever and whenever they may be. The mission trips to places far and near, like Glory Ridge or Quito, Ecuador. The summer camps, like at Camp Trinity or Camp Canuga. The spiritual renewal weekends, like Happening, Vacari, and Curcio. Those places that some affectionately call thin places, and some are quite literally thin, where you especially feel the presence of God, like the beaches of our beautiful Carolina coast, or perhaps the actual mountains themselves here in this state or elsewhere. Wherever it may be, it is those moments, those experiences, where you feel at peace, where you are most spiritually fed, where you feel most connected to God and experience God most clearly. Or as Martin Luther King Jr. so famously said just before his life was taken from him all too soon. Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it doesn't really matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Those words from Dr. King are probably the most known reference to the mountaintop in recent speeches of recent memory. 
With all of these examples of figurative or even literal encounters of the mountaintop, it is a phrase that we know well, and so I'm sure it wouldn't surprise you to know that the idea of the mountaintop experience is not without long-standing precedent, but comes straight out of our own scripture and tradition. Because as we see and hear throughout God's story of salvation, the mountaintops are where God is most often clearly revealed and known. As we hear in our first reading from Exodus, we hear that Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. And then there is the prophet Elijah, who similarly encounters God on a mountain, possibly that very same mountain, as told in 1 Kings. Not a reading we had this morning, but relevant nonetheless. Elijah, fleeing from Jezebel, went into the wilderness, content to die there, when an angel of the Lord gave him a cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. He ate it and drank, then he went on the strength of that food for of course, 40 days and 40 nights, to Horeb, known as the Mount of God, until the word of the Lord said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And so Elijah waited. A strong wind came, but the Lord was not in the wind. Then an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire but the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a sound of sheer silence. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And then came the voice. And of course, as we hear today from Luke's telling of the transfiguration, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up the mountain to pray. And while he was peering, the, praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And after Peter's interjection that it would be oh, just so good for them to just remain there, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. And then from the cloud came the voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. Three important figures, Moses, Elijah, Jesus. Three mountaintop experiences. And who should appear next to Jesus on this mountain, on this experience, but Moses 
and Elijah. As you hear this particular passage, you may be asking the same question I've heard before. Well, first of all, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? And moreover, why were they there? What did it mean? Consider Moses and Elijah, who they were, what they represent. Consider the two readings about Moses and Elijah you just heard. It was Moses who received the commandments from God on the mountaintop, and in so doing, Moses represented the law. And it was Elijah who also encountered God on maybe that same mountain, Elijah, who represented all of the prophets. And as the author of Luke's Gospel records in chapter 24, verse 44, Jesus says, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Here we encounter Jesus on the mountaintop. Like Moses and Elijah before him, dazzling white, with none other than Moses and Elijah by his side. For Peter, James, and John, we can't say for sure that they immediately recognized who these two figures were, but it wouldn't have taken long to connect the dots. And there was no mistaking why it was these two people, Moses and Elijah, that stood by Jesus, and there was no mistaking what it meant. Jesus did not come to undo or abolish or replace what Moses and Elijah had begun with God. He did not come to upend the law and the prophets. Jesus came as the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. As I've heard asked several times before, and as I've wondered myself, what was the point of this? Why was Jesus transfigured at all? What purpose did it serve? As my New Testament professor from seminary used to say, and I remember it so well, he said, as tempting as it may be to want to make this passage about us, how we can all be transfigured like Jesus, the reality is that first and foremost, this isn't about us. It's about Jesus. About Jesus' true identity as the incarnate Son of God, man and divine. And it's about what he came here to do for us. Not to upend the law and the prophets, but to fulfill all the law and the prophets, the culmination, the culmination of God's love for us. A love that God unleashed for us to upend not the law or the prophets, but sin and death. No wonder Peter wanted to stay there. Who would want to come down from a mountaintop experience so good as that? Who would want to come down knowing that the world off the mountaintop is not so perfect, not so radiant, not so idyllic, not so pain-free. 
but that is why we go up to the mountain. So that like Moses, like Elijah, like Jesus and the disciples with him, we must come away from our high experiences of God and then bring God into the valleys of this world, into the pain and grief and suffering, including the pains that we face ourselves. Not unlike Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who came down from the mountaintop only to be killed the next day. So if you take nothing else from this Feast of the Transfiguration, remember your mountaintop. Yes, those moments where you've experienced and perceived Jesus yourself the most, but above all, remember what happened here on this mountaintop. And like Peter, James, and John, Behold Jesus for who he was, who he is. The dazzling, transfigured Son of God, fully human and divine, sent to save the world through one sweeping, eternally reverberating act of sacrificial love for us. That is what this feast day is all about, and that is far, far more than enough. As we prayed to God to begin our worship today, mercifully grant that we, being delivered from the disquietude of this world, may by faith behold the King in his beauty, with you, O Father, and you, O Holy Spirit, lives and reigns one God forever and ever. Amen.